I encourage you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Colossians. We will be looking at the first chapter of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. So Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. So Colossians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 12. I'll read those out loud and you can follow along in your copy of the scripture. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We are in a series looking at the Lordship of Jesus Christ, passages where Jesus as Lord have a central role. We started out by looking at the fact that often when Jesus is referred to as Lord in the New Testament, the human author of the book, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is drawing attention to the truth that Jesus is God. So sometimes when it says refers to Jesus as Lord, it's referring to his deity, that he is in fact God. But many passages... Assume that, but take it on one step further, looking at the ramifications of Jesus being Lord. What are the ramifications of the second person of the Trinity taking on humanity, coming to earth, dying in our stead, rising from the dead, and providing right relationship with God to those who believe in him? What are the ramifications of that truth for those who are followers of Jesus Christ? His Lordship involves his authority. His lordship involves us responding back to him in all that he has accomplished for us on his on the cross in his resurrection from the dead. His lordship causes us to think in everything that we say and think and do about the question How can I please him? I've been a pastor for almost 28 years. And in those 28 years, I have probably done between 100 and 120 uh, couples uh, through premarital counseling. And most of whom uh, through their subsequent marriage. And uh, here at Faith Bible Church, we put a very high priority on couples actually preparing for their marriage, not just for a wedding. Uh, preparing for the, the most important aspect of it is that vow that they are going to make before the Lord, not so much the color of dresses and if we're going to have those little mints made with cream cheese, which I love, by the way. Uh, that stuff's peripheral. 
And in our premarital that we do here at Faith Bible Church, one of the books, we use about three or four, is a book put out by Dennis Rainey as the general editor called Preparing for Marriage. And in Rainey's book, Preparing for Marriage, one of my favorite questions that that is in the book is this one. Why do you think many couples experience little cor- little conflict during courtship and engagement why do you think many couples experience little conflict during courtship and engagement well those of us who have gone through courtship and engagement and then have subsequently been married for several years we can kind of figure that one out because when we quote unquote, especially as guys, are trying to get the girl, we are thinking through the grid of how can I make her happy? How can I be pleasing to her? But after we get the girl, then we tend to not ask that question quite as much. We tend to become a little bit more like, what's going to make me happy? And self starts coming out. And I start, and we start asking the question, well, what can you do for me? You see, we stop thinking quite as much through the grid of, how can I please her? Or how can I please him? Well, the Apostle Paul here in Colossians chapter 1, in taking us to look at the Lordship of Jesus Christ, is showing us the preeminence of that question. How can I be pleasing to him? To him who has given up his life for me. To him who died in my stead. How can I be pleasing to the one who took all the penalty for my sin upon himself and paid my penalty. What can I do in my life and how I think and how and what I say and what I do that would be pleasing to the Lord? And so that's what we want to look at, want to look at this morning in this, actually a prayer. I love looking at the prayers of the Bible. Sometimes it's hard for us to know, well, how should I pray for my accountability partner? How should I be praying for my brothers and sisters in the Lord? How should I pray for my spouse? How should I pray for my children? One thing, it's always a sure thing, is to pray biblical prayers. And here's a good one. The Apostle Paul is praying for the Christians in Colossae. Now, In this letter that he's writing to this church in the city of Colossae, he's writing to them about Jesus. If you ever want a good book of the Bible that really focuses in on the person of Jesus Christ, read Colossians. It's got some of the best theological terms, Christological passages in the New Testament. And here, Paul is so encouraged to hear about the church in Colossae that these men and women have put their faith in Jesus Christ and they're desiring to live for him. And Paul is writing to even tell them more about Jesus. In fact, he tells us just how encouraged he is in verse 9. He says to them, this reason also since the day we heard of it, 
we've not ceased to pray for you. And Paul is going to tell them that just as he prays for them, us, we as his readers as well, need to do the same thing that he's praying for the Colossians. It's important for us to be seeking to know and to do the will of the Lord so that we can be pleasing to him. So Paul writes, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you. And then he tells us what what he's praying. He tells us the content of the prayer. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now it's interesting as we look at that prayer. Paul's saying, ever since I heard about you, I continually pray for you. And this is what I'm praying, that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. It's important for us to see that Paul uses a passive verb here. That... We can't do this ourselves. He's praying that they will be filled, that you may be filled, that Jesus Christ, by means of the Spirit of God, will do a work in them so that they will know and do God's will. In fact, this is a supernatural knowledge. It's not a knowledge that we can gain in and of ourselves. He refers to it as a spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, Paul is praying that the Spirit of God would do a work in the people of God so that the Word of God would be understood and applied in their lives. So that they will fully understand more and more, day in and day out, what the will of the Lord is is it's knowledge that's taught by the holy spirit the new testament is clear that every christian every person who's come to that point in their life where they acknowledge that they're sinners and that our sin keeps us from god that god can't be in right relationship with us because we've sinned against him and in his rightness and his holiness, he can't just overlook it. And every person who recognizes their sin and that they can't fix that and recognizes what God did for us by sending his one and only son, the second person of the Trinity, to take on humanity so that he would be able to die in our stead and rise from the dead, every person who's put their trust in the person of Jesus Christ is a Christian. And at the moment we become a Christian, it's hard for us to even grasp, but the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives and resides there. God dwells inside of you if you are a Christian. And that Spirit of God is the one who takes the words of this book, the Bible, the only book that God ever ever wrote, and teaches us from it and enables us to apply it to our lives. This is a spiritual work that the Holy Spirit does. And Paul is praying for the Colossians that the Spirit of God would do that work in their hearts and lives. He not only tells us what he prays, but he tells us why. If you look at the first part of verse 10, you see the little connecting words, so that. 
That's a purpose connector. I'm telling you why I'm praying this. So that you may walk or live out your life in a manner worthy of the Lord. Well, we read that word worthy. It's a word that that carries with it the idea of something of equal value. And we say, well, there's no way I could live worthy of the Lord. There's no way I could in any way, in any form, live out my life in a way that would be on equal par with Him giving up His life for me. And that's true, we can't. But here the Apostle Paul says, under the empowerment of the Spirit of God, who enables us to live for Jesus Christ, we should have as our goal to live our lives out for the one who gave up his life for us. We are to be thinking through the grid of how can I be pleasing to him? In fact, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There's our phrase, worthy of the one who has authority over us in that he paid for us. He purchased us out of bondage to sin to please him in all respects. Barbara and I like to, once a year, make a trip to Chicago. Love going to Chicago. I get my big city fix in. And and for us, it's always a challenge to try to stay at the nicest place we can for as little money as we can and to eat the best food as we can as cheap as we can. It's just kind of part of the fun. So I can usually get a room for like 50, 55 bucks. And then we find these little dives. Last summer we ate at a place that's directly underneath the blue line, underneath the L. Phenomenal. And it was cheap. You know, that's my kind of vacation. So we'll go into the city and we just hang out and we walk in neighborhoods and we eat at little holes in the wall and eat a Chicago dog and and just hang out. One of the fun things has been just over the years to see how things change. And I can remember being downtown when the Trump Tower and Hotel was just being built. It's down along the river, down along Wacker. And it's a beautiful building today. And you stand there at the base of that and look up at that glass building and it's phenomenal. But it's not near as impressive as what it was before it was built. Because before it was built, you didn't see anything above grade, but I was amazed at how deep of a hole they dug for that building. It's just like, hello down there. I mean, it was just amazing how far down that hole goes. And having been in those buildings when we lived in Dallas up at the top, they sway back and forth. I think there's like six to eight feet sometimes in some of those buildings. So you're up on the top floors and you literally feel the building going like this. And as impressive as it is on top, what's really important is what you don't see. The foundation. And what Paul is talking about here is the 
foundation of God's will upon which we build our lives. You see, it sometimes frustrates us when we have a question facing us. Should I marry this person? Should I go to this university? Should I take this job? And we can't go to a book, chapter, and verse and definitively say, well, I should take this job in Portland or I should take this job in Cedar Rapids. There's not a verse, one verse, that answers the question for us. But everything that we need to know to live for Jesus Christ is contained in this book. And the foundation that we need to answer those questions is here. And if we know the will of God, we can start asking and processing our processing the questions that we need to be asking about this job. For example, the scripture is clear. I need to be a man or woman of truth. Will I be able to be truthful in this job? The scriptures are clear. I need to dedicate myself to serving Jesus Christ. I need to be serving through my local church. I need to be serving other people through my work. Will this work be valuable that I can use my work to serve other people? Will it allow me enough time to serve Jesus Christ through my local church? The scriptures are clear that we have responsibilities to families. If we are, if we do have a family, I have a responsibility to my spouse. I have a responsibility to be a teacher of my children at home. Will this job allow me to fulfill those responsibilities. You see, everything that we need to live out the Christian life is in this book, but they are foundational truths. It allows us the bedrock foundation upon which we build our lives. And Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will. Why? So that you can live a life that's pleasing to him. That's, that's worthy of everything that he's done for us. One of the neat things about this prayer is that we can pray it. I pray this regularly for my wife, for my sons, for my accountability partners, for you all, for myself. Lord, please fill me with the knowledge of your will. Please fill my wife with the knowledge of your will today. Please fill my sons with the knowledge of your will. And it's important for us as we look at a passage like this, even though it's it's passive, meaning that God does this work in us, we still have responsibility too. For example, if we are going to know God's will, we have to be people of the book. It's the only book God has ever written. This is how he speaks to us. If we're not in the book, the Holy Spirit is short-circuited in his ability to be teaching us God's will. We have to be men and women of the book. Not only individually in our quiet times, but the Christian life is not meant to be lived on an island. It's meant to be lived out with brothers and sisters in Christ that we can spur each other on to love and good deeds. We can challenge each other from the scriptures. 
We need to be in the book with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm really excited we're going to be working this spring and summer to work forward to this fall where we will be uh, implementing some new ways that we at Faith Bible Church can be more and more men and women of the book walking with each other as we dig deeper into his word. And here the Apostle Paul is reminding us that if we know God's will for our lives, it enables us to be pleasing to Him. And that's a work that the Lord does, but we have to yield ourselves to that work. We have to put ourselves in a position where the Spirit can teach us from His Word. And the Spirit of God has to be free to work in and through us. We can't be hanging on to unconfessed sin and think that the Spirit of God is going to be able to teach us from the Scripture. So Paul says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will grow in your knowledge of His will so that you can be pleasing to Him. Well, how do I know if I'm pleasing or not? Well, verse the second half of verse 10 down through verse 12 gives us concrete results of what it looks like in the life of the Christian when we are living out lives that are pleasing to the Lord. In fact, he lists four different results of living a pleasing life before the Lord. Four evidences, specific evidences of a pleasing life before the Lord. I'm going to list them quickly and then we'll talk about them. Result number one, we will be bearing fruit, verse 10. Result number two, that we will be growing in our knowledge of the Lord. Verse 10. Result number three, we will have spiritual power, spiritual strength to live out this Christian life. Verse 11. And result number four is that we will be thankful people. Our hearts will be overflowing with thanksgiving to the Lord for what he's accomplished for us. Verse 12. Results of a pleasing life. Notice with me verse 10 again. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. And then he lists four parallel results of a pleasing life to the Lord. Result number one, bearing fruit in every good work. Probably the the best passage that talks about fruit bearing in the New Testament is John 15. And in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle John talks with us about what it means to be fruit-bearing. A good way to think about bearing fruit is that Jesus Christ's life is replicated through your life. The life of Christ, the vine, is replicated through the branch of your life. John 15, verse 1. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and does not, 
and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I like trees. When we moved out to our place where we live now out in 2002, there, we have mature trees. We have three apple trees, two pear trees, and a cherry tree. And they bear a lot of fruit, but they're getting older. And so I have, over the last few years, been trying to plant new things. And I get all of my stuff that I plant from Bergeson Nursery in Fertile, Minnesota. It's my favorite nursery. Paul Bergeson, the owner, is a friend of mine. He actually went to Dallas Seminary. And instead of becoming a pastor after he finished Dallas Seminary, he went into, went back home to Fertile, Minnesota, a home of Marge Hubert and our church family. When you pull into Fertile, there's a big sign, home of, no, it doesn't really say Marge Hubert. But in Fertile, he went back to Fertile. And uh, with his dad, Melvin, and just dedicated his life to this nursery. And they specialize in bare root stock. It's the only way to plant a tree. Instead of having this big ball of dirt around the roots, it's just the tree and the roots. And they keep it in a, a climate-controlled room. And you take it home, you dig your hole, you plant, you cover it with dirt, water it once, and leave it alone. I actually had a little contest with one of my neighbors one time. I bought three American bass or uh, basswood trees, American linden trees, bare root stock. It was just they were whips. They were just a little stick with roots. I planted my three. He brought in fifth, uh, three 15 foot high American linden trees, basswood trees, with big balls, and he planted his. I drove past those trees a couple of years ago. Mine were taller than his. Now, he's passed away, but he's a, he was a believer. I'm going to go up to him and say, Everett, my trees got bigger than yours because he really made fun of my trees. So anyway, I'm really proud of my new trees that I put in. Last spring, I planted my trees I did everything that I was supposed to do. I sprayed them with liquid fence because we have a lot of deer around and they were looking great until one night it rained. And sure enough, those pesky deer came into my yard because the water washed off that liquid fence and they broke the centers out of my trees. And then they ate all the leaves off. I was so mad at those deer. I wanted to have deer steaks. And so then I spray them again and it worked for a while and then it rains and I don't know how they know to come after a rain, but they came right in. They just, all summer long, we had this battle going. So now if you look out of my yard, there's these two sticks down there planted in the dirt and I could tell you those are apple trees. And you would say, yeah, right. It looks like you're cheapo. You just went and buried a couple of sticks out in the dirt. How can I prove to you that those are apple trees? Well, a little fruit would be nice. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is when we are actually living lives that are pleasing to the Lord, there's going to be some fruit 
Well, what's the fruit? The fruit is little by little, more and more in our lives, our life starts to resemble Jesus' life. You see, the life of the vine, Jesus, is replicated through the branches so that we start actually resembling Jesus Christ. Now sometimes in your life, I don't know in mine, it's three steps forward, two steps back. And it's frustrating sometimes to say, why don't I, why don't I have more victory in this area in my life? But sometimes we look at one day to the next, but hopefully if we look at this year versus next year, little by little, Jesus is all about making us conform to who he is. And Paul here is saying, if we're living pleasing lives to the Lord, there's going to be fruit. It, it goes on and says, we're going to be knowing more and more of who God is and his attributes. Not just knowing it, but applying that to our lives. The third thing it says, we're going to have spiritual power. Again, it's nothing that comes from within ourselves. It's the spirit of God in us. And even when we go through those tough times, those trials that we kind of wonder, am I going to be able to survive this? Here Paul says, when we are living lives pleasing to the Lord, one of the results is we're going to have spiritual power. We're going to be enduring those times. We're going to have patience through those times. And finally he says, we're going to have thankful hearts. Instead of being critical of brothers and sisters in Christ, our hearts are going to be overflowing with thankfulness. For everything the Lord has done for us. So there's a progression here. It starts out with prayer. Paul says, I am praying for you that you will know the depths of the knowledge of his will. That you will be growing in the knowledge of the Lord's will for your life. And then the Spirit of God takes the word of God and impresses it upon our hearts. And if we are opening our hearts to the Spirit of God's work and becoming more and more people of the book, not only in our own quiet times, in our own personal study of the Scripture, but with brothers and sisters in Christ, where we can spur each other on and encourage each other from the Word, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and little by little continues to help us see this is foundational truth for my life. And we're able to take the foundational truth of the scripture and apply it to our individual situations so that we actually are doing the Lord's will. And as we do his will, it progresses to us pleasing him. And as we're pleasing him, there's specific results that are seen. We're bearing fruit. We're more and more living like Jesus Christ. We have an increasing knowledge of who God is. We have spiritual power in our lives. And we are more and more thankful people. You see, Paul says, we need to be seeking to know more and more and doing more and more of the Lord's will so that we can please Him. Where do we begin? We start praying for ourselves. We start praying for our spouse. We start praying for our accountability partner. We start praying for the people in our adult ed class and our Sunday school class that we teach, the WANA children with whom we work, for our co-workers who we have fellowship in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, please fill me with the knowledge of your will. 
Please fill my spouse with the knowledge of your will. Please fill my children with the knowledge of your will. And the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and in answer to our prayer, continue to do a work where more and more our lives will be pleasing to Him. Father, we thank You for Colossians 1. And for the reminder that in response to the Lordship of Jesus, in response to everything he's accomplished for us on the cross, our heart should be seeking to be pleasing to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.